0: In reading author Celeste Headley's book, We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter, I marked up, underlined, highlighted, and starred passages throughout the entire book. It's been an incredible resource for my personal and professional growth. The final chapter, simply entitled, Listen! contains particularly helpful insights that relate to today's guest and listening's role in being creatively strategic. On page 217, Celeste says this. It's not easy to break the habit of simply waiting for someone to take a breath so you can speak again, but it can be done. First, try to listen for ideas. While the other person is talking, think about the deeper meaning of their words and their thoughts. Watch their facial expressions and gestures. What are they really trying to say? You can ask questions like, does that mean that? Or are you saying that? Perhaps they're hinting at something. What is it? Why are they telling you the story at this moment? What's the big idea? After two additional pages of advice, Celeste aptly states, listening is work, period. (laughs) And today's guest knows the important role that listening plays, particularly listening below the surface, in the creative process. Douglas Davis is an Emmy award-winning designer, author, speaker, and educator. He wrote Creative Strategy and the Business of Design, which will be available in an audiobook format this month. And his resource, this helps creatives to be more strategic in their process, allowing them to turn their rational language of business into the emotional language of design. In today's conversation, Douglas generously shares the ways listening is critical to the dynamic of understanding communication gaps that can exist between various stakeholders in the creative process, and how listening allows creatives to be more strategic, including the importance of listening for the questions behind the questions. He also shares how learning to control our emotions is something we must learn how to do within the context of the creative process through listening to our own bodies, as well as his take on imposter syndrome, drawing parallels between today's creative climate and that of the turn of the new millennium in the early days of web design. Finally, Douglas reminds us that listening is required to allow creative people everywhere to remain on brand, on strategy, and on message. You can see Douglas at RGD's Design Thinkers Vancouver 2022 conference in early June. All right, let's get this party started. So the first question I wanna ask you very simply, or maybe it's a hard question, I don't know which, who is Douglas Davis in a nutshell?
1: Um, Well, I guess if I had to sort of boil myself down to one sentence, uh, I'm the professor who had no plans to go to college. Um, I'm a strategist, I'm an author, and, a, and I'm a professor. But I look at all those things and I, and I just say that I'm a creative person who is in um, pursuit of an outlet. I need different outlets. It doesn't matter what the medium is. Uh, storytelling it could be a video. It could be a campaign. It could be an interior. It doesn't really matter, but I'm, uh, it could be fashion. Um, I'm a creative person and I have to seek different outlets constantly because uh, it's chaos inside. So I have to get it out somehow. So that's who I am.
0: I love that description. And I can relate so deeply to what you just said about the fact that you kind of have all of this creative energy inside and anywhere that will accept or you can place. I, I, I love that. That's fantastic. So in a previous conversation that we had, um, you kind of explained to me the ways in which you help creatives be more strategic, which is kind of also the basis of your book, Creative Strategy and the Business of Design. And one of the things that stood out to me the most was the way you use listening to help creatives be more strategic. So I was just wondering, can you kind of expand upon this idea?
1: Absolutely, Um, and again, thank you for having me. Um, I guess I'll start out by uh, asking this question to all the creatives listening. Um, Have you noticed how much communication there is in the creative process? so many sort of words behind what we're supposed to create. So if you think about it, right? There's spoken words that are in the kickoff meeting. There are written words that are in the creative brief. There are strategy statements. There are clarifying questions. There's so much to say, but these documents in this process, are, they're really supposed to help us to organize the chaos, right? They're supposed to focus and they're supposed to inspire the creative work. But if everybody's talking about the talking, then we're, we're gonna miss the insights that can only come from listening, right? So I, I feel like just to, to really put this into context, if you think about your kickoff meeting, right, your, your client says, hey, we need a logo, but what, why they needed the logo was really the real issue. And they needed brand differentiation, but they never said that. So I think for us, uh, you know, as creative people, and for me, I know I was sort of uh, taught to focus on the tactical parts of what should be large strategic decisions without even being taught what those strategic considerations were. So there's a the knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, they need a cool logo, you know, tactical, tactical, right? Um, and so I feel like you know a lot of us were taught to make it pretty, to make it cool, but that's not really what we're really doing, right? We're we're really being asked to solve a business or a marketing problem with designer creativity. And so I, I'm sort of expanding on that by sort of telling you what the communication gap is, right? And all of us can sort of uh, put ourselves in that situation. And it really is the perfect storm of miscommunication, right? So our clients will ask us for a design, but they need strategy. Designers don't know strategy because many of us weren't taught business. And then the in-house MBAs on the team, they weren't taught how to inspire designers. That's why sometimes you might get a brief that's as thick as a novel, right? Just they're putting everything in there. They're not discerning. They don't even know that there's a creative process that they can inspire or derail, right? So it's the real losing battle whenever you're trying to defend that creative work solely on the basis of aesthetics because you're misunderstanding why you're in the room. And so I think uh, listening plays a huge part in that because if you don't understand that what they're asking for, the English or whatever language you're listening in, is not really what they need, then you're going to be misaligned and you're going to you know, spend all this time and energy coming up with something that's amazing, you're going to walk into that room and not understand um, what the problem was and not understand what your role and even moving them to where they actually understand what the problem is. Um, and so listening is a huge part of that.
0: Yeah, I uh, completely kind of uh, agree with what you're saying and kind of what I've seen and what I've experienced. And yeah, it's this kind of, I think you use the word misaligned. Yeah. And I think I think that's the, the, hits the nail on the head as to kind of why uh, in a creative space or in a creative meeting, different stakeholders, different people with different mm-hmm. skill sets need to listen to one another so that there is that alignment, which so often can kind of... Go off the rails
1: absolutely and we all just to to sort of continue with that when you're mentioning different stakeholders right we're all starting this process from a different perspective right the the new business people are trying to get the business that's their metric of success the design and creative people want to do something that we, we can actually put our name on versus doing all this stuff and being like i'm not telling anybody i did it i mean i you know i've cashed the checks and gone to europe as well and kept my mouth shut on the thing that was national that I wouldn't tell a soul that I did, as well as I've been proud of the stuff that was international that, you know, I'm browsing magazines in India and see my work on the back of the economy. So like we've all sort of seen all of that, but like we're coming at it from, I want to do amazing creative work. The account people are coming at it from, I want to make the client happy. Right. Um, Everybody's coming at this from a different perspective. So if we're not listening, for how to even get to the same page. Like we're all on this team to service this client, but what made us professionals on that team to service that client didn't even teach us to talk to each other, but we also have to listen, right? So even being taught to talk to each other is still only one part, because if you're not listening, you're not getting the benefit of what you're hearing or what you're not hearing, right? you don't know where to shift the conversation and so if it really is a really important part of what we do um it's not just what's being communicated but what's being communicated as you receive i think a lot of people are not focused on that part which is why i was really excited about you know even coming on today i love that you're looking at listening it's so
0: important How do we listen below the surface? How do we train our brains to do this?
1: Well, I think it's like, if you think about strategy, right, it's a set of choices, right? And so becoming more strategic is really about how to think about those choices versus sort of being under pressure and feeling like I got to give an answer because they asked me a question. And so I think the way that I do this in my teaching is that I'm really just interested in helping creatives develop discernment, right? And so you can't develop discernment without listening and not, not hearing, listening, it's different, right? So like you can hear your mom when she tells you what to do and she's right.
0: All oh, moms are always right.
1: But you're not listening to her. Right. Exactly. So <laughs> you, you hear me or, or are you listening, it's, it's very different. So I feel like, you know, when you think about the conversation for me, I'm always sort of wanting to have the conversation that is seeking, um, listening less for what to do and more for how to take what I'm hearing and then turning that into a decision-making process. But if I'm in my concept classes, I like to break this down into the two parts of presenting or selling creativity, right? There's a presenter or a team who's presenting, and then there's an audience, right? And they're different jobs. So in feedback, right? So if we just presented, I have to give the, I have to set the work up with all of the things that, if you use to create a strategy framework that's in my book that you mentioned at the top, that's an alignment exercise to help you sort of pull out the strategic threads to then base your, your concepts on. So from that uh, measuring stick, it's really important to, after you sort of give the audience, what they need to judge you on, right? You talk about the insight, you tell them a little bit about the target. You then talk about how that inspired your concept. Then you start to sort of show the work by reading it, like literally reading it, like letting the work speak for itself. And then from there, your job is to shut up, right? And hear what comes back because you will hear whether you were correct and what you thought was accurate. You'll hear whether people are confused or not, you'll hear whether they heard and understood your concept or your, uh, your insight. You'll hear all of that because it's either going to come back to you or it's not right. You're going to see, cause that's listening to right. Body language. You're going to see the bobblehead, you know, in the audience, people are just, you know, you'll see the facial expressions or you'll see the skepticism and the leaning back and the arms folded and the, you know, I'm not really sure about that. And so I think the presenter has to do their job and then listen for, listen for those things. And I think I'll, I'll give you another another piece of what the listener has to do. So oftentimes in a, a creative presentation, you might get these questions that are sort of really seemingly really easy to answer. And at that point, even if there might be some skepticism, those questions are not easy questions. You have to listen for the question behind the question. Because mm. they're asking that question because there's they, something else, <laughs> right? And so if you're not up there drawing them out, right? If you're not up there really listening, then think about leaving that meeting. How many times have you left the meeting and you've just heard everything that the client said, but nobody asked them to zero in on is it the typeface or is it the concept or is it the insight or was it the setup? Is it these images? Like what specifically is it? Right? So you leave the meeting, you don't really know. There's another round that has to be presented. Your time is running out, and you don't know whether you need to start over completely, or whether it was just that one thing, right? So that's that job, right? So listening and sort of understanding what your job is when you're presenting ideas. But then when you're sitting down, let's say you're in the creative team, or let's say you're the client, or let's say you're the uh, senior creative. Um, your job is to hear what's being presented in that insight, that concept, that target, right? Listen to the headlines and the tagline and copy and sort of the the overall concept, your job is to listen to that and then see if it aligns with that strategic thread. Is it on brand, on strategy, and on message? That's your measuring stick. And so your job is to hear and understand and check for those things because you don't need a creative director to catch all the things. And that's the difference between a junior creative, right? And someone who's more seasoned someone who's junior is going to, they're going to be finished, quote unquote. And then as soon as you put it up and they're going to see all the mistakes that they could have caught themselves that they had just put it up and gone through rounds of creative uh, changes before they showed it to whoever it was, right? So a senior creative person is going to go through those rounds. They're going to put it up themselves. They're going to have that conversation. They're going to find that stuff. So I think it's really important to sort of hear any... Um, questions and sort of question the answers, right? And, and sort of look for the question behind the question because oftentimes when you're in presenting and I use that e- example because there's are two very distinct jobs, um, two very distinct ways to use listening based on what your role is in the process. But uh, it's really easy to sort of break down how listening helps you do that part. Um, whether it's about alignment and checking someone's work to make sure it's on brand, on strategy, and on message, or whether it's setting up everything that you need to have the the work judged on. Because again, when opinion comes back into this, when everybody's like, oh, I like it or I don't like it and they're not the target, it has nothing to do with what they're interested in or not, right, how do you push back on that if the titles are higher than yours? How do you push back on that if the client is the one paying the bills, right? And the answer to that is if you can hear that someone is more attached to their own personal investment in the money, especially this always happens when you're working with entrepreneurs, they invested their heart and soul in it and they put all their money into it. And you're coming up with these different things that they need, but they don't want that. And then you have to hear that basically feedback that they're giving you is art directing you to recreate something that they saw right i mean how many times have we seen that as well right like i'm i knew i know i need something new but i'm scared so i'm just gonna ask for the do that um how do you know that that's what's happening if you can't hear right so there, there's so much in that, but there's a different role for listening based on what your role is in what's being presented or where you are in the uh, hierarchy of what the organizational structure is. I hope all that makes sense.
0: Yeah, thanks for breaking that down. That makes a lot of sense. And I just want to circle back to something that you said about presenters. So if you're in the role of the presenter and it's your, your job is to is to present, obviously, and then shut up and listen but because as creatives oftentimes our identity and our egos and our our everything we see ourselves one and the same sometimes as our work it's hard to just shut up and accept the judgment without wanting to kind of counteract or jump in so what have you found can you can you just speak to any of that
1: yeah because uh i <laughs> to quote Erica Badu, right? Uh, you know, you know, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, we're all sensitive about it. And you know, it is tough because when you walk into that room with your babies, right, it's that person. So any criticism sounds like I don't like your nose, right? It sounds so personal, and I think it's just really important to. Get creatives into the understanding that you're going to get fired. It's going to happen two, three, four, five times throughout your career. You're going to get fired for screwing things up. You're going to get fired for doing things right. You're going to get fired because we pitched business and we won it and they're going to clean house. You're going to get fired because we lost a piece of business. It doesn't matter. It's going to happen. But I think learning to control our emotions is something that is not taught. Mm. And so you have to listen to your own body. You have to listen to yourself. I I, I don't know about you, but I know for me, even when I'm comfortable in creative presentations, like I sweat a lot, gets hot, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So I'm listening to my body and I'm like, oh, okay, got it. Like, I know that I'm feeling it right now. And so I think I've learned to listen to myself. I've learned to understand that the thing that makes me a creative that gives me the superpowers to take the rational language of business and turn it into the emotional language of design is my worst enemy when i walk into a room after pouring my heart and soul er into everything and there's this group of very judgmental people who don't want to hear the story of how I was walking in the Mojave Desert and I was struck by this amazing inspiration once I looked at this lizard and it was iridescent. And I thought, oh, wow, right? Like the creative people want to hear that. They wanna, they're on that journey with you. They see it in their heads because it's visual language, right? They can see what you mean. Business, marketing, or clients don't care about that. And they want you to walk into the room, tell them the recommendation first, and then tell them why. We might get into some of that other stuff, but we're not going to get into typefaces. We're not going to get into the details. So I think I've learned how to control myself by understanding how to walk into the room, by understanding how to listen to my own body, my own emotions, by looking at what is my strength in the creative team and knowing that that is a weakness in another place. If I'm walking into... Uh, a place that is outside of the creative team, right? So I've learned to just control it by just understanding the truth um, that, yes, it's going to be tough. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest help to me in controlling it has been using the creative strategy framework because I'm able to go through a process that leads me through it my own creative process that has sort of led me to a strategic thread that has allowed me to have that yardstick that has allowed me to look at and evaluate the work multiple times before I walk in that has allowed me to focus my creativity my briefs my ideas so that when I walk into the room I can focus on listening and I can defend without being defensive because at the end of the day we all know that being defensive is not helping you not helping you. It's going to hurt the work. You're going to get the opposite outcome. It's not helping you. It doesn't help the long-term um, relationship. It doesn't help you look like a professional who's in control of their emotions. It doesn't help you go to the next meeting after you screw this one up, right? It doesn't help you. So I think in understanding that the objective is to see the work on the newsstands all over the world, the objective is to look at Times Square's middle TV and to see your animation, which I've been thankful enough to to mm. have been able to achieve. So these are the that's the objective. So if you want to see it out there, getting defensive is not what you need to do. So you have to learn to listen to your own body, your own cues, whenever you know you're about to go too far. Um, but that takes. Time before you walk in. You can't just walk in and expect to sort of know how to control your emotions, but that takes listening to yourself, if that makes
0: sense. You said so much good stuff there. There's so much, so much meat in there. So defend without being defensive and understanding how to use the superpower that is our kind of emotional state of being as creatives and how to kind of channel that and understand our audience moving into a situation so that we can speak their language and we can present it in a way that makes sense for them and they will be receptive to.
1: That's right. And I think I can even go further because if you think about what it is that we're asked to do, sometimes, and and I've had this happen, sometimes I've realized that, wow, I, I was literally seeding the environment for change for this big, uh, just brand refresh, huge brand refresh. I have been in the organization for quite some time, so I had seen the changes and I knew the organizational deficiencies. And so I started to seed the environment for change by just talking about sort of what ifs, right? And sort of um, having some aspirational ideas looking at our verbal language, trying to figure out how to define the problem so everybody could sort of understand, oh, yeah, that's definitely it. This is what makes my job harder. I, you know, went through different steps by visualizing what that change looks like, moving through, like, what the actual presentation might look like, but not necessarily being specific, like a deck. Um, Looking at visual language, sort of selling the vision at that point, sharpening the language and the visuals and the concepts and the markups and all that. Uh, going through presenting to the change to a decision maker who could actually get me the meeting with the uh well an influencer i guess at that point who could get me the meeting with the decision maker um and i remember being in that meeting presenting to the president <laughs> and the decision the uh, influencer who got me the meeting was with me until he read the room and he wasn't and i realized in that meeting that my vision for change was misaligned with the culture that I was working in. And so I didn't leave that meeting with what I thought I was gonna leave with. I left that meeting shaken, sort of in my own confidence. I left that meeting sort of questioning my own um, ability to read and uh, solve this problem that I've solved hundreds of times. But I, I really realized that at that moment, you can sort of, Leave that meeting with two different conclusions. You could leave that meeting knowing that you didn't convince them, but wondering whether they convinced you that your idea was trash. You know, like, did they convince me that I don't know what I'm talking about? Do I still have it? But I feel like at that point, you have to listen to yourself and know when to keep going. You have to um, know that you have a strategy, but at some point, when you have certain uh, organizational deficiencies that the only way to actually um, solve the problem and sell the idea is to create it, show them. Don't wait for the buy-in, you have to actually make it and be like, this is what I was talking about, right? That's how you know whether it's you or them. And I feel like you still have to try to figure out, was it the message that didn't work so well? Is is it me, the messenger, because I'm a non-traditional person in this role? like, was it, there's all these different sort of things you have to ask yourself, and that's also listening, right? So you're questioning the answers, you're questioning the environment, you're questioning your reception, you're questioning your judgment, which is a hard one to swallow. But I feel like, you know, um, if you're looking at creative strategy and you want to become more strategic and you're thinking about how to use listening in, that pursuit i think it's really important to understand that creative strategy though it's like a set of lenses and processes and tools that help us to organize the chaos and question the answers as well as then turn insights into executions you have to be able to listen and understand whether all of those things are working or not or whether you missed something or whether you need to stop and sort of pivot because there's something here that either wasn't um, factored in or something that some place you didn't look because that's also listening, right? Where you look for research is listening. The quality of all of those things um, that's all listening. That's all, it to me anyway, um, that's all a part of how I am able to step into the shoes of whoever it is that I'm trying to speak to um, and work within the brand's characteristics that I'm trying to speak on behalf of. So all of that requires this constant listening and course correcting and introspection and just questioning things. So, um, yeah, it's not just the tools, right? It's not just uh, listening and then being able to sort of regurgitate something that you heard, even though that's also important. It's also about knowing when to pivot, knowing when to keep going, knowing when you need to have your own back, knowing when, um, yeah, like if, if what they're saying or how they're responding is accurate or not. There's, there's so many parts to that. And I think that, you know, if you're not doing it as a creative person, they're not going to do it. You know, just like they're not going to learn Pantone and typefaces. They're not going to do that. (laughs) But it's so much fun to do that. (laughs) So much fun, and yet they don't care. (laughs) They don't
0: care. But yeah, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's all like there's creative confidence wrapped up in there. There is creative grit. There is creative intuition. All of these big kind of abstract ideas that as creative people, it's a challenge sometimes to to work within those kind of big abstract ideas when our own judgment is called into question.
1: Oh my gosh. And just one last thing that I thought about, yes, 100%. Think about this, like, because what, what I think we're talking about in the context of listening is the imposter syndrome that a lot of us have to fight through, Right. And so I'm thankful that I've, I don't suffer from that. But if you are listening and you have suffered from that or you struggle with that, for whatever reason, whether your design school wasn't from the pedigree that most people consider to be blah, 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 whether you were self-taught, whatever it is. um, I feel like what I would like to leave you with if you do have uh, imposter syndrome or you struggle with that, if you're listening right now. When I entered the industry in 1999, um I started, I was trained traditionally at Pratt Institute by design gods, right? And in 1999, if we all remember, um, that was the height of the dot-com just before the dot bust. So I'm trained traditionally at Pratt Institute for my masters. And then I entered the industry after one year. So I'm not even done with my course. Um and I'm a digital designer in digital advertising. And if you really think about that, most people who asked you, well, what type of designer are you, are you? They were either asking, are you a graphic designer? That's a print designer, right? Or you know, are you an interior designer? Are you like an architect? They're asking so, but if they're, if they're asking graphic designer, they're 99.9% asking, are you a print designer? They know that, right? And so when I entered the industry, when you think about it, right, in 1999, you couldn't study web design, didn't exist. So no one was wasting time wondering whether they're doing it right. Nobody was wasting time wondering, oh my God, am I good enough, right? Even though the backgrounds were blue, it was terrible, like all the design looked awful because the people who jumped into that new language were people who were about function. They weren't about aesthetics. It was our turn at that point to enter the industry and sort of add the aesthetic part. But remember, no one had a web design degree because you couldn't study it, it didn't exist. Everyone was just there uh, sort of exploring. We were all prospects, prospectors. And we were all just about how do we do cool stuff in this new medium so if you are a uh someone who's struggling with imposter syndrome just know that um i feel like right now it's sort of back to that where it's this uh free for all wild west situation where nobody knows what to do because of covid right and yet i think we have a creative process. We have things that we can do that will help us that we are uh, familiar with that the process, we can fall back on the creative process. Um, We can develop, you know, these new tools like listening and then be better at it. Um, But just know that that feeling that you feel in in listening to yourself and trying to sort of manage your emotions as you go to present, you know, we're always the people who are sort of asked to learn a new skill in order to survive or we're always, as creative people, we're always the people who were going in this direction for like three months and the client was saying yes until they walked in the conference room one day and they flipped over the table. Well, who has to flip over the table again and then put all the stuff back on it and then keep going into a different direction? Well, that's us. That's, that's creators. And so I think I just wanted to leave everybody with that encouragement if you're dealing with Imposter syndrome is, you know, don't listen to that because we've been in situations before um, where nobody knew what they were doing and nobody wasted time feeling sorry for themselves that they didn't know what they were doing. Nobody even had a degree in it, right? You just sort of focus on solving the problem. And that's what I think I would ask creatives to do who are listening to this, focus on solving the problem focused on solving the problem with creativity that's on brand, on strategy, and on message. And the way to do that is through these tools and listening.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, Douglas Davis, for all of your time and your energy and your wisdom. And and I truly value your take on this because it is such an important topic that you are diving headfirst into. And and I am so glad that you could be here today and chat, chat all about it.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me. And uh, if any of the listeners want to get in touch, you can check out my website, thinkhowtheythink.com. Uh, you can email me at douglasdavis.com, and uh, I'm on all the socials as well. So
0: Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Today's listening invitation encourages you to pick up on the subtleties in conversation that Douglas Davis mentioned in a strategic context, but I believe can be applied equally in everyday conversation too. So the next time someone asks you a question, take a minute to uncover the motivation, the why, the question behind the question. Listen to the question and question the answer that that person you're speaking with is looking for. So for example, one that hit home for me this very morning was speaking with my eldest daughter before I left on the train to head downtown. She asked me, will you be working on the train? I responded with, yes, I will be working on the train. As I often do on the ride into the city that offers 50 minutes of uninterrupted time to focus. (laughs) Bliss. We both sat there for a minute while she continued to think about my answer. So I thought about the question a little more deeply and I realized that she really didn't want to know if I would be working on the train. What she really wanted to get a sense of as if I would get all my work done on the train or if I'd still have to do work when I got home. So I added, I'll be working on the train so that I can finish what I'm doing and come home and play with you. That seemed to more directly get at the heart of why she was asking me that initial question. And she seemed much more satisfied with that answer. So question the question. Become aware of the underlying narratives, concerns, fears, or motivations behind why someone is asking you something. And if you really aren't sure about the underlying why, but your gut is telling you there is something deeper, just ask. Asking is way better than assuming. And as Brené Brown reminds us, Clear is kind. Unclear is unkind.